0: 21 cl radio you're listening to the run your life podcast with host andy vasily okay hello everybody um I'm, I'm very happy to have aaron hart on the podcast um aaron and i just to give you a little bit of backstory aaron and i have uh, known each other uh, from social media, uh, Twitter, uh, probably for two and a half years or something, Aaron. Yes?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds right.
0: Um, but I met Aaron for the first time this past summer at the National Institute of PE. Uh, we were able to share a few pints uh, the night before the conference kicked off and I got to know him a little better. So Aaron, I really do feel that I that I know you despite not having spent a lot of time in person with you. And um, I told you about my podcast and the idea that it's all about kind of you know. Obviously, as a physical educator, I love my subject area, but um, there is great podcasts out there in our field. Joey and Nathan and Ash Casey and and uh, who am I forgetting? There's there's others out there as well. Or Jorge Rodriguez and the Voxer podcast. So although it's meant for physical educators, it's more taking a look at education itself and. As I said in my keynote speech in North Carolina, I I think that who we are as a person is inseparable from who we are as a professional. So I think our life stories and journeys play play a significant role in shaping who we are as an educator, and there's valuable lessons there. So I think you've got a, a very interesting journey yourself, and I thought that it would be great to have you on to share some of your insight and the lessons that you've learned. So first, why don't you just tell everybody who you are? Uh-huh. Uh, let's just start with who you are, and then we'll go into some other questions. I'll ask you some other questions.
1: Okay, so my name's Aaron, you had already introduced me, and I'm the Director of Educational Programs for U.S. Games, and I oversee the Open Curriculum Project, um, and I'm also a lecturer at SUNY Cortland, uh, which is the State University of New York, uh, and uh, I, I love it here. I'm actually in my office right now, and um, I, I love teaching, so...
0: How long have you been uh, at Cortland
1: uh five years now five years five years and and it's a it's a great opportunity for me because it allows me the flexibility to write curriculum and and travel and work with districts and teachers um, but at the same time stay connected to students and and uh, you know teach
0: yeah what's your uh, if you had to define uh, the the air like with students the grade levels that you're most that that fits best with, with what you do, is it general or or would you narrow in on a specific band of grade levels?
1: Yeah, my the the bulk of my teaching experience is really pre K through grade eight, um, besides university level. So I've taught at the university level uh, for five years in the PE department, and then for three years in the social advocacy department here at SUNY Cortland as well. So, uh, you know, really pre-k through eight is is my wheelhouse um i've I've coached at the high school level uh quite extensively uh so i know that that group but in terms of being comfortable in the gym moving students uh, moving a lot of students uh anywhere pre-k through eight i'm I'm pretty
0: comfortable yeah and you know what i think there's there's so many great researchers in our network and and people similar to you that teach pre-service teachers and and uh, they're they're connected. They do a lot of research, and they're connected with a lot of research. But a lot of that is at the secondary level, to be honest. There's I found that there's very few um, uh, researchers, lecturers out there uh, that are mostly focused on elementary school. And Aaron Beatley is is one of them uh, from the University of Kentucky. Who's he's worked yeah, with? Yeah, really good one. Yeah. yeah. He's worked with Bob Pangrazi closely and with uh, their book, Dynamic uh, Physical Education. I think that's the name of his textbook. But he was on my show recently as well. So I think that's my area, K, probably K through 6. I've done all the way through, but that's my real interest and passion. Um, it lies between kindergarten and grade 6 and how we can kind of get those kids um, having positive attitudes towards physical activity. Um, why don't you um, go into – so before – Working at the university, what did you do? Uh,
1: before working at the university, I was a public school teacher in New York City at Public School 202 in East New York, Brooklyn. And uh, I taught pre-K through grade 6 at PS202. Um, and we were phasing in a middle school program, but but I left before they had the whole middle school program in place.
0: Okay. Um, I'm getting a little bit of uh, background noise. Can you hear that?
1: Yeah, it's probably the fan from my computer, actually. Okay, I yeah. I wonder if it's louder because I've got the towel on there. Okay,
0: you can take it off. Uh, <laughs> we, we we tried to put a towel on just to let you know, uh, everybody listening, uh, just to, to to kind of muffle the voice a little bit, but um, it's fine. So, um, also, you have, uh, tell us about your background with Spark, because I think that, that was pretty early on in your career, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so uh, even before that, um, when I left New York City, uh, I, I came up and I was teaching part time in the social advocacy department here, and I decided to um, take out a student uh, or take out a small business loan and start my own company, uh, a development company, and um, that was in two thousand and three. So I've been I've been at this for a little while, uh, and. It was at that time I really started to work uh, with Jim Deline. So you yeah. met Jim oh, at yeah. the National PE Institute. Yeah. And Jim, Jim actually, the, the first time we met, he came into my gym uh, in Brooklyn, and he did uh, a catch presentation. So he came in. We we won a grant at two hundred two. What's catch? Grant. Uh, catch is like catching uh, a ball
0: or catching. Uh,
1: it's a curriculum. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a physical education curriculum. Yeah. And he was one of the main authors of the elementary uh, catch program. Excellent. And so with the grant money, we purchased the catch box, which is like a little uh, box of activities that you do. And so he came in and did a presentation. He did a staff development workshop. And if anyone's ever seen Jim DeLine, he's phenomenal.
0: Full of warmth and love, that guy.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and that was kind of a light bulb moment for me that – uh, it was possible to share your passion with a lot of other people.
0: I remember him describing that moment uh, when I was ha- he was <laughs> having beers thing. with us, and I think he was talking about some guy. And, uh, are you there? Yeah, yeah I'm still here. Th- th- that he was talking about some guy at the back of the room wearing wearing a hoodie, and I'm not. His say... story
1: is 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 only eighty percent accurate.
0: By the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> funny hearing your different perspectives, but um, so that led to.
1: Yeah, so that, that led to uh, a couple of different things, but I started to create curriculum tools for the teachers uh, in District 19 in Brooklyn, and uh, and I created a product out of it. And so uh, I would basically sell uh, lesson plans on a, on a CD-ROM at the time. There really yeah. wasn't a good way to, to deliver it via the Internet, so it was all CD-ROM-based. And uh, I had this vision that I would create a network of physical educators around the country and deliver content to them, and so in 2003, I took out a loan and I created a website called MyStation PE, and it was all built on the premise that uh, teachers would log in to the website from their schools and download lesson plans that they needed, and uh, this was. This was uh, before every school was connected to the internet, and I didn't really work out the numbers quite yeah. like I should have. And it took me about a year and a half, and I was completely broke, totally out of money.
0: <laughs> but in the, in the process, I mean, you learn some valuable things, I'm sure.
1: It was, it was like business school crash course. So I always remind myself that the money that I, I lost during that period of the time uh, was basically my tuition to business school. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I was lucky enough that, um, at that point in time, uh, uh, actually spark and sport time, uh, saw value in what I was doing. And, uh, Peter Sabbaths, which is one of those guys in my life that, uh, was there for me at the right time, right place, right time. Uh, he believed in what I was doing and he, and he saw this opportunity for there to be a network but maybe it was just the the internet wasn't ready for it schools weren't wired for it and so uh he hired me and he he really saved my butt i mean he he saved my house yeah
0: (laughs) i I think i think a lot of times though too and i'm i'm a big believer that uh, right place right time we put ourselves in those positions by the by the work we do the relentless work that we do and and the uh, continuing to drive forward so you know it may, might have been a situation that it was the right place, right time, but you put yourself in that position to be seen with the work you're doing. So that led to Peter taking you on, right?
1: Yeah, and, uh, and Kurt Stone, who I work with today at U.S. Games, was also there, and he was a big part of, of helping me come in. And, and uh, Jim DeLine worked for a short time uh, before going back to teaching. Uh, and Peter's vision was always that my station PE as a platform would, would mesh with Spark. Yeah, and ultimately, uh, over the course of eight years, uh, that's what happened. And so, a lot of the work that I did early on became a foundation uh, for Spark's online delivery platform that they use today. Right, and uh, it was it was good work. We we uh, I'm I'm proud of the work that we did there.
0: What well, what would be the say the two two or three top things you learned from the eight years working there?
1: You know. One thing that I learned is that um nobody's gonna get rich writing PE curriculum. Yeah. Right? There it's that's we say we're not teachers to make, you know, to 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 drive a, a Ferrari or whatever like yeah. that. But you know, I, I think some teachers like you hear that one story about that one teacher on Teachers Pay Teachers that became a millionaire selling her lesson plans or or whatever the case may be. Um and, and don't get me wrong, you can make a living, but it's physical education. There's there's only about two hundred and forty thousand PE teachers out there. So if they all bought one book, you're still not going to you know have Harry Potter numbers. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean
0: massively limited uh, budgets and yeah yeah definitely
1: yes. Yeah. So so you have to find creative ways to to deliver the content. Um, and uh, what we do know is that um, PE teachers need equipment. They need beanbags and hula hoops and, and those sorts of things. And the, the content, the curriculum is, is really, um, you know, the, the foundation for a teacher utilizing those tools. Yeah. So it's really a good fit. And as long as, you know, it, it took me, it took me a little while when I was young and and before sport time brought me on board. Um, I was very, Naive and, and arrogant, even I, I would say, looking back at the younger me, I would slap me a couple of times, yeah. uh, you know, because i i I didn't know, and i I did want to help teachers with content, but there was also that that itch in me that was like, "Hey, you can get rich doing this, and um you can't I mean i mean yeah. I, I can't say you can't, but it's rare, it's very rare in the physical education community, you're going to see anybody rise and become very wealthy selling curriculum. Yeah. I I think
0: the, the focus ends up shifting, you know, and, um, you know, I think of Jared Robinson and the work that he's doing and he came into a very unique niche and, and Mm -hmm. he's passionate about it. And and he, it's just something that he's just stuck with over the years. And I think even if you ask Jared, I think that he's done, um, financially he's done quite well with it, but that's not what's most important to him now, you know? And, and, And at one time it might have been, I don't, I don't know. I've never asked him this question, but I see Jared now traveling the world, doing what he loves, took a year off school. We, we saw him at the Institute then he embarked on this journey across Europe and Asia and, and just all over the place, embracing life and travel and doing what he loves doing. So I think, I think focus, uh, you know, our focus is kind of shift. So, um, there's nothing wrong with that, you know?
1: And It was a part of the growth process that that I had to go through, um, and and really it allowed me to be able to see the the physical education community as a whole um, in in a more uh, in, in a in a way that was was more pure, I guess, a clearer picture of what reality was. And so, when you look at trying to disseminate large amounts of content to the PE community, you have to have that clear picture, and it can't be diluted by. Uh, things that just won't come to pass or that, uh, you know, are going to limit me as an individual or my team as uh, as trainers going out there and working with, di- with districts. So it, well, it was a part of that you, process I really needed to, yeah. to go through.
0: Why don't you tell people this is a good time to transition over to the work you're doing with Open and U.S. Games. So what's your kind of dream and vision and, you know, where, like, just kind of go at it from that angle. What do you want to accomplish with that project?
1: Yeah, so the 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 basic fundamental purpose of the project is to create equity of access across the physical education community. So if you look at, uh, you know, PEP grants have been important for the physical education community in the states. So PEP grants, for folks that are listening and may not know, there were large uh, federal grants that districts would receive. And then they could purchase physical education curriculum and equipment. and technology and professional development. So those grants have gone away, which, you know, nothing lasts forever. But at the same time, really, and my math may be off, but the estimates that I've come up with, that's really only impacted about 15% of the physical education community. And so in in the statistics that we've we've pulled from surveys that we've done have showed that um, paid curriculum like, like Spark, for example, when I was there, we did a very good job of servicing PEP grants with large pockets of money, but we did a very poor job of, of servicing t- schools that, did, that had no money. Right. And we would see uh, you know physical educators and, and community leaders come to us and in, in really want, they knew that it had the power to change their community, uh, but without a PEP grant, they couldn't afford it. So time and time again, we'd see them go away disappointed. And so the idea of open is that we're going to create equity of access for all teachers and what us games has given me the opportunity to do is focus on the 85% that haven't been serviced, which is a tremendous blessing um, that I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. And it's a different day and age. We don't have to get things printed. We can deliver everything electronically. So back in 2003, when I had this vision for this online community, it it just wasn't time for that. Whereas today, really for a very uh, for a fraction of publishing costs, we've delivered over a hundred thousand documents in less than ten months.
0: That's amazing.
1: It, it is amazing. To, it hard to
0: hard to reach pockets too.
1: Absolutely, and and through Google <laughs> Analytics, what's been really fun to to see is that places that we've gone in and trained. Um, uh, like the Atlanta metro area as is, is a good example, and Clayton County, which is a district just um, just outside of Atlanta that's a, a very high needs district we can we can see that just in the last two months, those two districts are highly engaged uh, where we've got about seventy percent participation from those teachers uh, just since December first going and interacting with the content uh, excellent. so, you know, and, and we trained we trained those folks in August. So
0: they're what taking we're action. To see, what's that? I said they're taking action. Obviously, y-
1: yeah, 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 they're taking action. And for me, it, it's it's motivation because the work the work that we're doing is making a difference. You yeah. know, I, I feel like um, uh, you know the the PE coordinator in in Clayton County when he first heard what we were trying to accomplish with Open. I mean he said you are an answer to my prayers. We've been trying to get a a program like this for years and we just can't win gra- the grants we need. We can't afford it. And uh now we can focus our efforts on on the equipment and and making sure the students' needs are met. We don't have to try to raise money for the curriculum. So it's it's been uh it's been a really great year uh for Open for US games and and you know, selfishly for, for me personally, because I, I feel like, uh, some of the, some of the difficult things that I endured, uh, times when I thought it, you know, what I'm doing wasn't making a difference. Now I'm seeing it make a difference.
0: I know. And that, that makes it to me, that's, uh, that's very rewarding. Right. And, and I can look at my own <clears throat> kind of journey in the, you know, I started my blog and then for years and I just stuck with it and I was just blogging and blogging and blogging and, and not getting a lot of feedback, you know, And then suddenly I, I, I get some teachers interested in my work. And it's those moments when, you know, I'll go to workshops or a conference, and then I'll have somebody out of the blue come up to say that they have followed my work for five years, and it's made a tremendous difference to them. And it's always so powerful to me. And that's why I do it. You know, so yeah. I, I hear that in those moments when we you know, I, I question why have I put so much time and effort and taken time away from my family and and done the things that I've done and I and I question it and I get into these kind of darker and you know, not recently, but kind of darker periods where I begin to question, thinking them that what I'm doing is not impacting a, a anybody, and then I have to flip it and understand that I'm doing it for me. And then those moments that you just described and I described like at the PE conference, the national Institute of PE, there was a woman named Ethiopia who was from (laughs) Ethiopia. And she had uh, followed my blog for five years, you know, and, and she based a lot of what she does on, on the stuff that I've done. And she got a grant to come to the national Institute of PE to sit in on my workshop. So Moments like that are like so powerful. So I can see, you know, you put years and years and years into it. So to be in a place now that you're reaching those hard, hard to reach pockets, must be extremely rewarding.
1: It it is, and um, you know, when I arrived at my gym uh, in 1998, 99 in East New York, Brooklyn, I had nothing. I mean, I there. Luckily, I had teachers in the school that that supported um, me as a growing physical educator and but we didn't have any equipment we had no curriculum and so that's the that, that's the place where i really kind of developed this intense desire to to make sure we could reach those those pockets of places you know i mean us games is has made a tremendous commitment to making sure that open uh, is getting the resources it needs to be quality and and allowing me to to work with a lot of freedom and and at the same time, they're they're a business. We need to make sure that U.S. games is strong and continues to grow, so that U.S. or so that Open can be sustainable. But at the same time, they're allowing me to go into places uh, instead of chasing money. We're able to go into places where we know there's no money, and and make an impact there. That's so, huge.
0: That's really big.
1: It, it, it's huge. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm eternally grateful for this particular opportunity that the U.S. Games is, has afforded to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's important for, for the physical education community. I mean, I, we, we need to come together. A lot of times we feel isolated. And Twitter has been an amazing tool for PE teachers to kind of break through that isolation and come together as a community. So um, again, a timing wise, I'm grateful for that Yeah. as well.
0: Well, that's the, the idea of social media and the impact that it can have. And, um, you know, all the opportunities that I've, I've experienced over the last few years is a direct result of, of being a socially connected educator. And the, I've spoken to a few, um, quite a few people about this, but you know, it's that idea that, that there's so many teachers on, on Twitter now that, um, you really got to fine tune your focus and look at what's relevant to you. And instead of following this wide mass of, of um, content, I guess there's so much out there. You really have to focus and narrow in on what it is you specifically need. You know, yeah. So I think that's that's important moving forward because there's just going to be more and more teachers on it. And it's going to be so hard to make decisions on who to follow and, and what link to click and all of that. So I think internally you got to look at what, what you need to, right. in order to grow and then, and then pursue pursue finding it uh, through Twitter, I guess. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joey fight who we both know uh, quite well. Um, Joey has uh, he's before I actually met you, Joey talked about you. And I had great things to say about you, and then I finally got to meet you. And Joey told me that um, you have a pretty amazing story about New York, and it, it has to do with nine eleven. And if you're comfortable sharing that, I don't know the story, you know. And I asked you before the show if you were comfortable sharing it. So why don't you tell us about it?
1: So September eleventh is is one of those days that no matter where you were, you kind of, you know, have it earmarked in your memory. Um, and you can almost play it back on a video reel and see it see it more clearly than than even you want to. Yeah. Um, but PS 202 uh, in East New York, Brooklyn, services Cypress Housing Projects, uh, which is set up. You know, I mean, the Brooklyn and Queens are fairly flat, but there's there's little hills here and there, and it was set up a little bit on a hill on Linden Boulevard. And you wouldn't even notice it was a hill, I guess, unless you you know were looking out the window, but um from you know from the fifth floor gym where I was that day, uh we had a clear view of lower Manhattan, so not that we were right right across the river, um we're on the other side of Brooklyn, but we could see everything unfolding.
0: You could see the towers, yes, yeah,
1: yes, and uh and we we were located pretty close to JFK airport too so there was a lot of uh low-flying fighter jets uh you know once the first plane hit the tower and um and it it was one of those one of those moments where uh you know a sense of urgency it just it, it has to you start to panic first of all I mean I like think everybody was in a little bit of a panic um, and and I went to the office because I, I wasn't teaching um, at that time. Uh, one of my students came and got me and they were having some trouble in in a classroom and uh, so I went down and and you know helped some of the teachers kind of get their bearings because they had family members that were in lower Manhattan working and uh, and so once we got some teachers settled down I went into the office and uh, our principal asked me to uh, watch the back door while they made announcements that the students were going to go into the gym and all the, the principal decided that she couldn't just let students go with their parents that they had to be done in an orderly fashion which makes total sense uh, but in order to do so what she did was she locked all the doors And parents came from Cypress housing to get their kids, which is totally understandable. Um, but they couldn't get into the school once they got there.
0: Yeah.
1: And so it was chaos. It, It was absolute chaos. Uh, I mean, parents were trying to climb into the windows and, and, uh, were, were very angry that they couldn't get into the building. Honestly, I don't remember how that situation was resolved. Um, uh, once we made sure that all doors were secure and the parents couldn't get in, uh, I went up to the gym and we organized uh, the gym as a as a basically a makeshift bomb shelter for the students. Yeah, and then that's where everyone stayed. Well, not everyone actually. About half of the school was in the gym, and half the school was in the auditorium. And then parents would come in one by one and collect their their child and and go. Um, but the the chaos of that day was was pretty incredible and. Uh, I was one of the few teachers that that actually lived in the city limits. A lot of the teachers lived on Long Island, uh, so because I I lived in the city limits, um, I stayed a little bit longer to make sure that all of the students, um, you know, were able to get to their parents and whatnot. So by the time I got home, it was it was later in the evening, and uh, and my daughter, um, she was about eighteen months old at the time, and my wife had our bags packed and I just remember walking in the door and, and having my wife, you know, huddled in the corner, scared out of her mind. She couldn't get, I mean, this was before I had, I didn't have a cell phone. I had a beeper at the time. This dates the whole thing. right? And, um, and so, you know, my wife and I hadn't communicated at all until I got home and and she just, she was terrified and it was, It was one of those points in my life where I I can, I can remember a shift in, in my, my thinking that we can't wait until tomorrow to follow what we believe is right.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there's no, tomorrow's not guaranteed, you know, and it seems like cliche, but, um, I think everyone within the five boroughs and beyond that day felt that way. Yeah you know? Um, and like, so, you, like
0: you said before, I think you described it as, you know, um, uh, I guess you feel a sense of urgency and that you begin to take action on, or you envelope yourself in this world of fear. Right. Right. And some people chose that route as opposed to taking action, right?
1: Yeah. And, and for the, Weeks and months after September 11th, I don't know if you recall in the news at all, but then there was all these anthrax scares.
0: Yeah, I totally remember. And there would
1: that. be there would be anthrax scares in the subways, and and um, and it, uh, I can't remember any of them really materializing into to something dangerous, but there was a great sense of fear. Yeah. Uh, throughout the city. Yeah. And beyond. Um, and and it did it 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 really forced me to um think about what was going to happen in 6 months in a year and if i wanted to to get to that point in 6 months to a year what did i have to do tomorrow to make it that way and so we had we lived in a one room apartment uh or i mean a one bedroom apartment uh very small in queens on queens boulevard and I had, uh, when you walked in the door, there was basically like what was supposed to be an entryway where you would hang coats. And I set up a desk in a computer and every night after work, I'd come home and I'd give my wife a little bit of a break, uh, you know, and spend some time with my daughter. And as soon as my daughter went to bed, I would go to my computer and I would write and I would write and I would write and create, um, you know, how can I, how can I develop tools that PE teachers would be able to access in different ways, and uh, and so I started to put lesson plans on CD-ROM, and then I would distribute those CD-ROMs uh, to to PE teachers that I knew, yeah. And then eventually, uh, uh, with the help of Jim Deline, uh, I was able to contact some some catalog companies. U.S. Games was one of them, and uh, and they put those CD-ROMs into the catalog, and I started to sell. They were Part of the, I don't know if you remember enhanced CDs, so there'd be music yeah, that you could play, so. yeah. as well as like yeah. content that you could yeah. get. We don't do those things anymore; yeah, yeah. I and mean, just streams. Unfortunately, everywhere.
0: those are the good ones. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so station to station CDs—that was the very first product I created, and it was it was it was. I did a lot of stations in Brooklyn because I had a ton of kids. I, I had you know anywhere between sixty and seventy kids, and sometimes where stations was really the only way that I could interact with my students in a more meaningful way. Right, so we would do stations a lot, and so I, I had a whole curriculum that was based on uh, running stations. And uh, how did and you, I start selling CDs?
0: Yeah, how did you get? You know, this is a question that I ask a lot of people who have developed things, you know, or created things. But how do you get into that creative space to be able to do that? So you know, you describe going to the computer and, you know, sitting down and just kind of having your own quiet space. But I'm sure there were times when you went and sat down where nothing came to you. Yeah. But how do you, how (laughs) do you get Yeah. How do you get into that creative space? What works for you?
1: So I think the first piece of that is I have, I have the world's greatest wife. That's So she allows me that space. Yeah right? And, and she, she helps me create that space because she knows it's important. Um, because, uh, I do my best work when it's quiet. Um,
0: morning or night You know, or does that morning or night or does it matter?
1: Morning is my best time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Morning is, is absolutely my, my best time. But back then it wasn't nighttime was, was my, the time that it was the time I had free basically. Right. And, um, but but for me to to really be able to concentrate and be creative, um, I, I think two things really help me a lot. Uh, the first one is make sure that I, I have an opportunity to be physically active. Yes, you know, and and everybody we all go through times where we have long periods where we're not as active as we'd like to be. But when I am more physically active, I'm more creative. Yeah. And then once I, I have an opportunity to um, find that quiet time, and for me now it's in the mornings, um, that's when I'm at my best writing.
0: Yeah, me, me too. I, I've got to uh, definitely go for a run. I must go for a run. And days that I don't go for a run, I just, yeah, I just have that heaviness you know, not literal heaviness, but just, just that, that mental heaviness. And it just takes me longer to snap out of that. So for, for me, I just, I need to, I need to run. And then that helps me get the creative juices flowing when I, when I write or blog or whatever I I, I work on my lesson planning, whatever it is, but how would you say your lessons? So if you were to take, if, if you gave me one of your CD ROMs from, from uh, 19, what would it be? 99, 2000, 2001? Yeah, 99, yeah.
1: 2000. So let's, and say, I
0: to write let's say it's 2000 and, and you hand me your CD-ROM. Um, and I I put it on my computer and I take the lessons and I teach those lessons. How would those lessons be different now? What you've learned about teaching and pedagogy, how might those lessons be different if you were to do the same thing now, what you're doing?
1: Yeah so i think that the the primary difference would be the focus of the instruction right so now we we've we've really uh studied outcomes based instruction so closely um and you know then we had national standards there were 7 at the time uh but there we didn't have a good outcomes document like we we have today so we knew we wanted to teach these overarching concepts you know, but as a a twenty six year old PE teacher, I, I was thinking, all right, I know I need to teach them fundamental movement skills, and I know I need to teach them certain manipulative skills, uh, but it I didn't I didn't have the granular focus right. that we have today when it comes to teaching outcomes. So, uh, really, I think that's the main difference where we may have uh, stations set up with. With big gross motor activities, that yeah, I see. It, I see a student, you know, throwing with opposition. It's a victory. Yeah, you know. But nowadays, I can refine that, and so I, I know once I get them to throw with opposition, I can fine tune that all the way through. And just because this is a first grade outcome, I don't have to stop there with my students. I may have a first grader who's ready to to meet a third grade outcome. Yeah, and so as a mature educator i can recognize that and i can individualize the instruction for for students given given the luxury of time and yeah you know and and, and the right teaching environment
0: i just want to say one thing about that that outcomes based focus and you know obviously it's so it's imperative that teachers pay attention like you say at the granular level and looking at the specific outcomes and root everything in those outcomes you know and that I think has changed teaching especially in physical education uh, over the past probably five years in particular there's been a big shift but I I kind of see it to be honest as a double-edged sword a little bit because I see right now on Twitter I see people overly obsessed with outcomes to be honest and and I've I've seen it and and you know it's it's again, there, there's a fine line, you have to address the outcomes. But I, I do see some sometimes um, things being shared where people are really ultra focused on that outcome. So do you think that that is the case? Or how, how do you feel about that? How do you find that balance between letting the lessons kind of flow and letting that there be that that element of inquiry and exploration as opposed to being ultra focused on the outcome,
1: right? I, and I, I, I'm sure we've seen some of the same posts and and uh, and thought the same thing. And in, you know, I, I think it's historically important to take a look at the fact that there have been great physical educators. <laughs> yes, um, but you know, there have been great physical educators way before this idea or concept of specific grade level outcomes. There were great physical educators in the nineteen forties. There yeah. were great physical educators in the nineteen seventies and so on. And and I'm a I'm a a big empowerment theory guy. And you know really empowerment theory, when you take a look at uh the, the concept of empowering teachers or empowering students or a community or anything, you have to be open to divergent solutions. Yes. So you can't Pigeonhole and say, for example, um, you know it's it's wrong if you teach it this way. I mean, there's certain things that obviously you and I both know are wrong. Yeah. But I mean, conceptually, if you teach conceptually one way and you're successful, then then why is it important that you change to teach conceptually a different way just because somebody says that's the right way? Yes. Right, and I yeah. and I think really what what tends to happen is. Uh, although people teach in different ways, you know, they may teach in spirals, they may teach in units, they may teach, uh, in stations, they may, however, however they teach, um, they're still focused on outcomes.
0: Yes, they should be,
1: right. They should be, Yeah, they should be. And, but like you said, it, and, and and maybe my explanation before wasn't as as good as it could have been but that granular focus at for me as a teacher allows me to see the big picture of yeah. where i want that student to go and so there are there's there's certainly times for direct instruction and there's certainly times for in, inclusive instruction and then there's times for guided discovery just like there has been for decades yeah um you know but but we have the luxury of of a lot of research behind us that allows us to understand those outcomes, and then use them within our within our own talents. Yeah, and I think that that's another thing in teaching that we try to manufacture out of uh, the teacher learner relationship. Oftentimes, is the that that there is a talent behind the teacher. That if they can if they can tap that talent and that passion and that drive, no matter what their teaching style is, that passion is going to make them a better teacher.
0: Well, it's going to impact the students big time. And when you, you right. just described like there were great physical educators in the 1940s and 50s and 70s and 80s, if you had to identify one common kind of characteristic or or trait or something that they did really well, what do you think it would be?
1: So one thing that I share with my students, and I, I, I share it in some workshops, I, I think that I've found the absolute uh, formula I love for it. great teaching. Okay. What is it? All
0: right. E, Are you ready? E, e equals MC <laughs> squared. This is Aaron yes. Hart's E equals MC squared. Okay. Go ahead.
1: Right. So the the first ingredient is that teachers learn every day.
0: Okay. So every day learning. Great
1: teachers. Yep are lifelong learners. They learn every day. Okay. The second one is they own their performance.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: So, um, if, if, if they walk in and they're having a bad day and they decide, uh, they're going to play bombardment for, for seven periods in a row with no outcomes, you know, I mean, everybody, we all check out mentally a day or two, but they need to reflect on that at the end of the day and say, you know what? That's not fair. I was a bad teacher today. Um, you know, and, and own that. And at the same time, when you, when you kick an ass which and you're is, doing something great, yeah. you need to own that too.
0: Which is, I think you understand that by reflection.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you learn every day, you own your performance, you value others.
0: So relationship so, building.
1: Relation, absolutely. So yeah. you value your students. Now, maybe when I was 19 years old, I would say I want to be a teacher because I love kids. But then, you know, my second year of teaching, I tell you, I don't love every student that walks in my door every single day.
0: I right? just want to but- cut you off right there to, to to lend support to what you're saying. And there was a, a fantastic TED Talk uh, where a woman says every kid needs a champion. Rita Perlman, I think her name is. She died a few years ago, but she was a teacher for 41 years. And she said exactly that. She said, you're not going to like every teacher. Some te- or sorry, you're not going to like every student. Some students you will not like. But the most important thing is that they can't know that.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And the best way to, to for me anyway, when I, I would internalize it, is I have to value them as an individual and I have to value them as my student. When they walk through my door, they're my responsibility, and so if I write them off, then I'm not valuing them as a human being.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. So even though I might pray secretly that they're absent, yeah, <laughs> when they walk through my door, I value them. Yeah, I value their potential.
0: I had a student one time who I didn't really like. You know, I I, I love kids, but this student just irked me. Right. Yeah. And I had I. I had the class set up perfectly, mm-hmm. right? I had the cones, like everything marked off. I was ready. I I, I was going to be in my flow right away. And this kid comes in late. All the kids are in the, the middle of the gym. And this kid kind of saunters in late. And he looks and there's a long row of cones set up. Oh, no. And, and you know exactly what he does. <laughs> he runs through the cones, kicking them all over to the very last one. And the very last one was about a meter and a half from me. And I was already pissed. The second he kicked the first one, I knew that I was going to lose it. But he just kept running through and his name was Peter. And I was like, Peter! And I was furious, right? And I was like, why would you kick down my cones? And he looked at me, kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, because I love kicking stuff, Mr. Andy. And, oh, I, no. and I went from being this block of ice, angry person to just melting in that instant. And I laughed and it lightened yeah. my heart. And after that, I always had kind of a special bond with him, even though he drove me crazy. Right. It was just that moment where I realized he's just a kid. You know, he's just That's a,
1: a kid. great answer. That was probably the best answer he could have given. Ever.
0: So honest. and And that made me realize <laughs> okay. in that moment that, you know. Yeah, it just, it just changed my focus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But okay. and I have a story, a, a, a story. No no one kicked down cones, but it's another story. Maybe I'll come back to.
0: Okay. Um, Going back to your formula for success.
1: Yeah. So learn every day. Own your performance. Yeah. Value others. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. So you have to enjoy... What you do, and you have to find allies, and you have to find colleagues that will build you up, and a network, right? Personal learning network. Um, you, you have to. The minute that you dread, and of course, we've all had those days where we dreaded it, and we went in, and we didn't want to that particular day. But if days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, God forbid, it's time to switch, right? Yeah. So that's my formula. L. Learn every day. O, own
0: your your performance.
1: V, value others. E, enjoy the journey. Love. You got to love to teach. Yeah. The minute you stop loving to teach, it's done. And and it doesn't matter how you teach. It doesn't matter um, your style. These things, and I say that doesn't matter. These things do matter. But if you truly love teaching and you learn every day and you own your performance, you're going to become a better teacher every single day.
0: Absolutely, and and one of the things that has really driven me over the last several years and and that's why when I when I go and I give my keynote speeches and and I go and present, often a lot of the stuff that I present and that I'm moved by personally has to do with the idea, the laws of human motivation mm-hmm. and what you're describing, you know, learning every day and owning your performance and valuing others and enjoying the journey. All of this lends itself to, uh, without question, increasing intrinsic levels of motivation for what you do, which means you're going to find joy and value and in in what you do. That's going to make the ultimate difference. That you know, a lot of us operate under the laws of uh, extrinsic rewards, but it's just been proven not to work. You know, so it's right. that idea of being intrinsically motivated and the idea of well-being and when we're in that place then we're going to impact our learners in a positive way absolutely yeah so um what's you know to to sum up we're at about 47 minutes right now so we'll we'll try to keep it under you know 50 52 minutes um but if we were to kind of if you Looking back at your, your I, I don't know exactly how old you are right now, but let's say looking back at your yourself 10 years ago, what would be, you know, you said before you'd slap yourself around, but that's when you were in your 20s, right? <laughs> but looking back 10 years, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that... Probably, what has helped me more than anything is to understand that as hard as things may may get, um, you're you're growing from that, right? It's it's just even like strengthening your muscles. Um, your, your muscles don't get stronger unless they tear, and all of the challenges and all of the 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 things that appear to be negative in the moment. um, As long as you're staying true to yourself and who you are through those moments, um, when you get out on the other side, you'll be stronger. Um, You know, and uh, my, my father-in-law and my mom both passed away uh, from cancer in their sixties, which was much too, too soon. They had a lot more time that they should have been here with us. And uh, we lived with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law while they were, were going, or and, and my mom, rather, while they were going through that. And, you know, with with the rest of my family and my wife's family, we, we took care of them through an incredibly difficult period of time. But they both were so uh courageous in the in, in that moment. Um, I, I I remember thinking to myself at different periods of time with my father in law first, the dignity that he maintained throughout all the hardship of his treatments and, and the declining health. Um, and and the same with my mom. The 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 courage that I didn't even know she had. I mean I love my mom and and she's she was a wonderful woman. But the courage that she showed towards the end was just amazing
0: um, did she share any any I guess did she share any wisdom or did she share anything she wanted to say to you moving forward as you move forward with your life?
1: yeah, so my mom was the uh was my office manager when I started my business in two thousand and three right and she Worked very closely with me and supported me in a lot of different ways um, throughout that. And I had a lot of family. Uh, I have a close, uh, an uncle of mine who's very close that supported me through some very difficult times. You know, this idea that people pull them up, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and become millionaires. You no, know, that's that's. We all have somebody helping us.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Becomes the people that we want to be if, if we if we reach any level of success, no matter what our, our career is. It's, you know, very I don't know of anybody who's pulled themselves up by their own bootstrap. Right. So I I think that the the trueness of it is we need to understand that those difficult times are periods of growth. That's good. that's gonna make us stronger. It's it's the tears that we need. Uh, to move forward in a in a better, more mature, stronger way, so that ultimately we can serve others with with the strength that we've we've built, with the gifts that we've been given. Yeah, and and that's that's what that's what I do every day. I, I serve the physical education community, and I'm lucky enough to have uh, U.S. Games support that. And I, I pray that it continues for another 25 years. Um, but that's that's ultimately what I do on a day-to-day basis. And, and no matter what my responsibilities are, work-wise, the end goal is to serve teachers so that their students, as well as themselves, will reach their potential. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think through that, I, I hope I'll reach my potential when this is all said and done.
0: Yeah. And I think... It goes back to that idea, what I said earlier about <clears throat> there's so much emphasis on student learning. And, of course, student learning is is the end result of what we're trying to accomplish. But really, it goes back to the service that we provide to others. And I think that's what I learned through my accident is the idea of, <clears throat> you know, teaching is the ultimate service to others. Absolutely. And, and um, there's just you can learn from every single every single thing that happens in your life, or you can read a book that's completely outside the realm of physical education, but there's always something to be learned that kind of, um, makes us understand life better, which makes us better teachers. And, um, so anyways, I want to thank you. We'll, we'll stop there, but I want to thank you for, for yeah. being on the the podcast. I'm looking forward to getting this one out there. Um, Hopefully it'll be out in about a month's time. But um, yeah, thank you very much. And I'm going to include everything about um, U.S. games and Open and your social media links uh, in the uh, show notes afterwards. So thanks a lot, Aaron.
1: Yeah, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast
0: by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.